Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Work of Being podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the dangers of smartphone usage at night for your sleep and work engagement. That sounds exciting, Katina. The dangers. You made it sound very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) It is very dangerous. Very mysterious and dangerous, no, but Ooh. but it is uh, a something that can have negative impact on your work, but I think it's probably something that we all do a lot, which is use our smartphones fairly late at night, so um, it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know I do that all the time. I'm always like checking that last email or looking at my calendar to prepare for the next day. Um, late in the evening, I really try to have the, what's it called? The like blue light filter thing where I don't know on iPhones, you can make it so there's like a night filter where the blue light doesn't come through, but I'm still really bad about being on my phone right before bed. I'm bad about it too. And so I feel like this can be a good learning session, both for us and for other people, because I also have a problem with uh, looking at my smartphone for work purposes later at night. Um, And the good news is that it's just work purposes for right now that we know has a bad effect. So if you're using it for other stuff, we're not saying you need to cut it out completely, but the work might be a temptation. Yeah, well, I definitely do a lot of Instagram at night. I have to have to finish looking through my feed yeah. and looking at all the stories. Um, I feel like I'm slightly an Instagram addict. And for any of you that follow us, you might be aware of that fact as well, because I'm probably liking all your stuff nonstop like a crazy person. But maybe that's not impacting my well-being too much. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'd have to look and see like if you're doing Instagram for like work, But I don't really think about what we're doing here as, like, work. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the same. Like, we're kind of setting our own tone and doing our own thing because we like it and it's fun. Um, So maybe if it was something that we, you know, didn't like doing or we had to do, it might have (laughs) a different impact. But I think probably your Instagramming late at night because it's something you actually intrinsically enjoy might not have the same impact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's more like a passion project. It doesn't feel like work. So hopefully that makes it okay. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. There's actually some some in there about that uh, that I'm going to talk about too. So um, ho- oh, hold okay. on to that cool. thought. I will. I was just thinking about sleep. So how did you sleep last night? It's your first few days in your new house. Yeah. So um, actually we are still waiting for our bed to get delivered. So we have a guest bedroom. So we've been sleeping on that bed um, and waiting for our bed to get delivered on Thursday. So once that gets delivered, our bedroom set up, I think we'll feel more settled. The dog is like totally thrown off and confused. So um, oh, he keeps getting up in dying. the middle of the night and like, pacing around I don't know like what he's looking for like his old house or something I don't know um but he keeps pacing and pacing so we're kind of like all right you know like um waking up a few times a night trying to get him to calm back down and go back to sleep but hopefully he'll get back in the swing of things and we'll all be feeling a lot better um in the next couple of nights but it hasn't been so bad it's funny how like when you move things get kind of you, it looks crazy, like there are 800,000 boxes and you just feel like it'll never go away. And then like you spend like two days unpacking <laughs> them and you're like, oh, actually, 
that was a lot of progress. So I feel like it's starting to become like a human house again. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it does feel overwhelming when you first get all the boxes and you're just like, where does everything go? Like you have to decide that, you know? I think that part's always stressful for me. Like, where do I put the cups? Where's the best place for the cups in my kitchen? I don't know why, but that is something that I always think about. Like, where's the easiest, like, reach for a cup and get my water space? I don't know. It's one of those things I really think about is, like, my kitchen setup. I think it's my mom kind of ingrained that in me. Because the first time I ever set up my own kitchen, she came in and she told me I did it wrong. (laughs) And then (laughs) made me move my, like, silverware around and my plates in a more logical spot. Um, So now I I think about that all the time. (laughs) Our moms are very similar. I keep saying... But something about it, though, is helpful. Like, I keep saying to Brendan, like, I just need my mom to come down here And show me, like, whether or not I'm putting things in the right spot. Like, I actually, (laughs) like, when she's doing it, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I know how to do it. But now, like, I have all these things that I have to put in in place. And I'm like, mommy, (laughs) tell me where to put my (laughs) stuff. Um, (laughs) Because she has more experience than I do in doing it. And she has better ideas, I feel. So it's, like, annoying, but true. So, yeah, I... I understand that, that you kind of need somebody's, like, input. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I think I've learned a lot from her, because definitely when I did this apartment, I was like, all right, I really was thinking about the things that she taught me before, like, where your silverware should be in comparison to the fridge and the oven and the stove and the, what you know what I mean, like, and the plates and how they should all be aligned. So, like, I've kind of thought about it a bit more. She's definitely still way better than me, but I think I've I've learned over the years. Yeah, I, me too. Yeah, so we'll see. My parents are supposed to come visit in a few weeks. So, um, by the time you come out here for your visit, uh, it won't be Diane Sawyerified yet. But in a few weeks, <laughs> it will be it will be ready. So, yeah. So, everything uh, related to the move is going pretty well. Sleep. Not so bad. Uh, Hoping to improve. How about you? How's everything been going? Pretty good. Um, My sleep has actually been really weird the past few nights. So it's kind of ironic that we're talking about this and maybe it has to do with my phone. I don't know. Um, Like I just keep waking up at like three in the morning. I just wake up and I'm like, hello, day. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's three. I should be still sleeping. And I don't know why. I'm like going to bed at a normal time, like 1030 or something. I'm not like going to bed super early. or I'm just very confused by it. But the past couple of nights, I've been waking up at weird hours and being like, well, I'm awake. And then I try to get back to sleep. And usually it's fine. I'll fall back asleep. And I wake up feeling okay. I don't feel like drained or exhausted, which is surprising. But... I'm trying to get past that and I got to figure out what is happening. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the sleep portion of your 24 hours is super duper important for your work. So anything that interrupts your sleep, you should definitely figure out what's going on. I know sometimes you can just go through like weird patterns too. Like that's happened to me before where you just like wake up at weird times and can't figure out why and then it just goes away on its own. So hopefully it goes away. But if mm-hmm. not... um. Maybe you can take some melatonin or something like that. (laughs) Or maybe I can learn to not look at my phone. Yeah. And that will help. That Maybe you can teach me from our article today. We can teach each other since (laughs) we both know we're not particularly good at that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sounds good. Well, tell us about the article. Who wrote sure. it? What's it all about? So the article is by Lenage Johnson and Barnes. And Chris Barnes, who's the third author on this paper, is actually a really famous uh, sleep researcher in our field. So um, if you're interested in learning more about sleep, Chris Barnes is a good place to start. Um, and the article is called Beginning the Workday Yet Already Depleted. Consequences of Late Night Smartphone Use and Sleep, and it was published in Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes in 2014. So uh, that's the article. Okay, what are the main takeaways? What were like the key things we should we should think about before we dive into yeah, the details? Yeah, so the main things that you should know are that looking at your smartphone for work purposes after 9 p.m., that's how they define late night, after 9 p.m., um, has mm-hmm. negative impacts on your work engagement. And the reason it has negative impacts on your work engagement is because it makes your sleep quantity and quality go down. So you sleep worse, which makes you feel more bleh in the morning and depleted in the morning, <laughs> which causes you to have lower work engagement. So basically, don't look at your phone late at night or else you're going to sleep more poorly. You're going to wake up in the morning feeling gross. And then you're going to feel less engaged with your work the next day. That makes sense. I mean, I think everybody knows when they're tired, they're definitely not as focused and engaged in their their tasks throughout the day, regardless of what they are. Um, so what what about using your phone? Like up until nine was fine. It was just after nine that wasn't good. Yeah, so they defined it the as setting? after nine. There was no like um, real strong rationale for selecting nine o'clock. So it could be maybe if you're a person that goes to bed, um, you know, earlier, it could be maybe earlier than nine o'clock. I think they just chose it based on like average bedtimes of people. Um, But if you are a person that goes to bed, let's say you go to bed at 10 o'clock, it might be eight o'clock or something like that for you. So close to bedtime, I would say would be a better way to probably define um, late night. But for them, they use nine o'clock just as a random time based on average uh, times people go to bed. Okay. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they ever do like a study in in terms of how many hours prior to going to bed you should stop doing work stuff on your yeah. smartphone. Yeah, that would that would um make sense. Uh yeah, they they basically said that they tried to do it two hours out from when people would go to bed. So um I guess the average bedtime's 11. So nine o'clock they picked, but if you're, you know, a nine o'clock bedtime person, then do it after, don't do it after 7 p.m., for example. Okay, that that helps, that makes sense. Yeah, I tend to go around 10, to bed around 10, 30, 11, so I feel like if I'm judging by myself, that's about average. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's hard, right? The earlier you go to bed, the earlier to stop looking at things because people probably continue to send you stuff closer to that time frame. Um, if you go to bed at midnight, maybe people aren't sending you work emails at 10 o'clock that you would have to pay attention to. But if you go to bed at 10, people are maybe sending you stuff at 8. So I would assume it gets a little bit harder the earlier you go to bed. So uh, maybe people need to be particularly vigilant about it um, before, you know, if they're uh, not late nighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're going to bed at a time, like you were saying, like 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock and you have to stop at 8, like 
in the summer, it's still sunny out. Like, you don't feel like it's night yet. Yeah. Um, and it can be really hard to, like, really be thinking about bed that early. So I guess if you're one of those people, you really have to start strategizing, like, what is your nighttime routine? And how do you get yourself away from your work and your phone about two hours in advance? Yeah, I think you just have to be really conscious of it. I actually have a colleague um, who basically makes a rule that she will not do any work or answer any work-related messages after a certain time. And she just tells everybody that. So she just says, if you send me something past, I think her time is 9 o'clock. If you send me something past 9 o'clock, I will not look at it until the next day. And it sounds like something that would be like, you know, impossible or hard to do, but she's done it. She's been pretty successful in her job and people will respect, they just know that. Like I know when I send her emails, if it's after nine o'clock or something like that, I'll just know, oh, I'm not going to hear from her until the next day. And I actually think it helps shape people's behavior because uh, I know for me, I don't email her really a lot. Uh, later at night anymore because I know it doesn't make any difference unless I, you know, she, I'm not going to get an answer until the next day anyway. So um, you can actually help train other people too, I think, to sort of respect those boundaries as well if you are conscious about setting them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting to tell people like this is my boundary because um, for me personally, like I just don't respond to emails after a certain time. I don't have a strict rule, but like I just don't look at my work email super late so probably actually probably around nine o'clock I'm not really looking at work stuff um and I just don't respond to emails if they come in until the morning and I don't really never told anybody that I never really thought about telling people um but no one seems to get annoyed with me either so it kind of works out but it probably helps that most of my team is in different time zone like I'm on the west coast so for me nine o'clock is already 11 o'clock for Central Time folks, midnight for East Coast folks. So no one's emailing me that late anyways because they're hopefully all in bed. That probably does help a lot. Yeah, that's interesting too if you're working in a team, like a virtual team and everybody's on different time zones, like timing could mean different things. So probably it's about timing it for yourself to say, okay, what's my bedtime relative to other people? And if you're in a time zone where it would be less convenient, like, if you're the only one, um, you know, that's on a different time zone and it's cutting into your bedtime um, to just make that more clear, like remind people that that's the schedule that you're on uh, maybe could be helpful. But yeah, I think I think it's just about like knowing your own limits. And if you need to, if it feels like people aren't respecting those limits, then maybe making that more explicit to people that this is something that, you know, these are your boundaries um, and, you know, hoping that people will be respectful of them. And if not, then you have told them and you can just stick to your own boundary, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. You made it clear. So it's not like they can expect you to, to behave differently, even if they're not respecting what you've told them. I mean, I feel like I'm guilty of emailing people on the East Coast kind of late. <laughs> um, you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> or texting you <laughs> super late and being like, oh, crap. I thought it's like nine o'clock and I'm texting you and it's like, oh, shoot, it's midnight. She might be in bed no, already. No, that's fine. Um, and I always feel so bad. I just totally forget. And I think that's, I mean, that's a challenge of the time zones, right? Is just remembering that other people are on a different time zone and probably asleep. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do stay up late and sleep later too. So um, most of the time when you're, you know, messaging me, it's not... Um, you know, it's not abnormal for me to be awake and it might not be that close to my actual bedtime. But also with us, like, you know, 
we're friends and you know, this project is a little bit different than regular work. So don't feel bad. Um, it may not be uh, <laughs> as detrimental because uh, it's not, you know, traditional work um, in that sense. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll try not to feel so bad, but I'll still try to limit my late night texts <laughs> as much as possible. Sometimes I just get really excited about some, some, something and then I just can't help yeah, myself. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, one other but... thing I was going to say too <laughs> that I do that probably people should not do because I heard you say that you don't look at your work email after a certain time. I have this like push and pull all the time and maybe some other people at home have this too, but I have this really like intense need for all of my stuff. Like I feel very burdened by looking at multiple emails. So I have everything come to one inbox. But the problem with that is that everything's mixed together, right? So I can't look at any emails unless I also look at work emails. So there's some overlap there that I'm introducing into my schedule. So I either have to decide not to look at email at all or to see work emails come through at a time when it might not be good for my sleep or I have to re-separate out my inboxes. So um, for people who are like me, um, it's worth being thoughtful about whether or not you might want to resegregate your inboxes uh, to make them more separate from each other so that you're not automatically looking at work emails when you look at personal stuff. Um, or you may want to just say, mm-hmm. I don't look at any emails after a certain time. So um, I think it's good that you have a separate work inbox. Um, and that's probably more helpful for separating things out. Yeah, well, we, we kind of have to. I think there's a lot of companies where you're not able to forward your email to your personal email because it's for security purposes and data, whatever. Right. So, you know, everything for my Infor email is in my Infor email box, and that is where it's going to sit and live and forever and ever. So I I have, I mean, it's almost like a luxury in a sense because it's automatically split up and I don't have the option to combine yeah. them. Um, and actually, though, because I've been in work environments like this for a while, I really, really enjoy that. I like having them be separate um, because I feel like you can easily bog down, at least in, from my perspective, in like, okay, my personal email, I've got stuff for worker being, I've got friends emailing me, I've got all my like random newsletters I'm all like, you know, subscribed to and sp- all the spam from all the stores that I love um, all coming into one place. And that already seems like too much. Like I kind of am, have been thinking about like, how can I split it up so that you know, worker being stuff goes one place, store stuff goes someplace else. Um, because I do, I do like the organization, but that just could be me being very kind of anal about that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, but I think that's probably good because then you can choose when to look at what. Um, I think a downside of being in academia is that a lot of universities use Gmail. And so obviously mm-hmm. Gmail is a very popular personal email account. That's what I have for my personal email. So when, you know, I have my university email addresses, it was very easy for me to just forward those, you know, have them all end up in one Gmail box. Um, so everything goes one place. Um, it doesn't matter where someone emails me. It all goes to the same universe. So mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I was just thinking about that when you said that and that it might be helpful for me to think about um, splicing those up or, or at least making a rule about no email at all past a certain point. Because also, you know, it's not necessary for me to look 
you know, a couple hours before bed at like, you know, you said like some store having a sale or something like I can live without viewing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And then then you'll just get down a rabbit hole of like shopping all night and that's not good either. Yes, correct. (laughs) For your bank account. (laughs) Multiple fronts. It's not good. Um. (laughs) But um, I had a question about the study in terms of so we're talking about smartphones. So we keep saying emails. Um, was it really related to specific smartphone behavior for the workplace? So is it just work emails that they brought up? Or were there other activities that people were doing on their phones? So the question that they asked was, how many minutes did you use your smartphone for work after 9 p.m.? So they asked people mm-hmm. the following morning how much they used their smartphone the prior night. Um, So they were actually surveying people Mm -hmm. in the morning before they went to work and then in the afternoon to get a sense of their engagement and then doing it again the next morning, asking them how much time they spent on their phones the night before, how how well they slept, things like that. And they followed people over several days um, to gather that information to see what the impact of their usage of the phone the night before was on the next day. So, um, Okay, that makes sense. And so uh, they also, interestingly, in... So there were a couple studies in here. In one of the studies, they also looked at whether smartphones made a difference over and above using a computer for work purposes, using a tablet for work purposes, or using or watching television for work-related purposes, which I don't really know what you would do. I mean, maybe if you have to like keep up with current events <laughs> or something. But what they found was that people who use the computer for work purposes, smartphone, or TV all had worse outcomes than people who did not two hours before bed. For some reason, tablets didn't make a difference. And I feel like that's just a strange finding. I don't know why. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so tablets are just weird. I probably, I wonder if there wasn't that many people that even used tablets. Yeah, if that's part I'm of not it. sure. Because this is in 2014. Like tablets were not yeah. used in the same way as they are today. Yeah. And honestly, it was published in 2014. So the study was done yeah, before that. Yeah. So like, I'm just thinking like when the iPad even came out and like the functionality on it was pretty limited. Yeah. Um. So I don't, I don't really imagine that a ton of people were using a tablet. So that's yeah, the, that um, the like amount of tablet use was like a fifth of the other, of the lowest form of other kinds of electronic use. So yeah, um, it was the least used. Um, so yeah, Yeah. so I feel like, um, so basically what they showed was all of those have negative impacts, but even if you take into account computer use, television use, um, smartphone use still had its own negative impact. So it's not like you can like cancel Mm. out the negative impact by, um, you know, engaging in other activities. It adds above a negative impact on top of computer and television, so if you're using your computer and then you use your smartphone and then you use your smartphone, it's worse than just using your computer. Like it does make a difference to add another form of communication. Okay. Yeah, that was going to be my question and kind of trying to restate that. So it's really, if you use your computer and don't use your smartphone, like that's worse than using your computer, than not using your computer. Yes. Right? So if I'm, if I have a choice to do nothing after 9 p.m. for work, I'm the best yes. off. If I whip out my computer for 20 minutes, doing worse. But then if I also then start to use my phone, I'm doing yes, even worse. Correct. Um, and smartphones were the worst. So 
it's not the same if you're using your smartphone and then you add a computer, the smartphone's still the worst one, <laughs> if that makes sense. So the smartphone okay. has the worst impact of all of them, but all of them have a negative impact. Okay. So like if I'm sitting there and I'm using my smartphone and then you are using your computer, you're still better yes. off than me because I was using yes. my smartphone. You okay. got it. Okay. That makes sense. So really the idea is try to use no technology. Just try not to work after yeah. nine, period. And then, or after, you know, two hours before bed. Yep. And then um, if you do have to, maybe whip out your computer for a short period of time and don't touch your phone. And I kind of wonder if it has to do with like disconnecting. Because like once you shut your laptop, for example, uh, you like put it away, like it's done and you're done with it. With your phone, it's like, oh, I checked an email and I responded. And then now, like for the next hour, I might be thinking about, oh, am I going to get a response and looking back at my phone over yeah. and over again? Um, or, you know, something like that where you're just more connected to it more frequently. When if you put your computer away, you're, you're literally done with it. Yeah, I think that that might make some sense. They didn't like mention that specifically in the article, but I think that like that makes some, you know, just common sense sense. Like, when you're done with your laptop, you're just shutting it and you're not like staring at it to see what else is coming through. But your phone always has, like you mentioned, that filter light is there for a reason. People are like looking to see if it's blinking. So it could be like this continued mm -hmm. attention. Even if you think you're not looking at it, you're still sort of paying attention. And if it beeps or does anything like to remind you that, you know, something is coming in, yeah. uh, that will also probably just keep your attention away from whatever else you're doing to decompress it. Yeah, absolutely. I am a little curious to know what this TV work is. I don't know <laughs> like, what TV work is. I just don't is. know what that it's would be. It's the same question too. Um, they're all the same question. Like, um, to what extent did you use this technology after 9 p.m. for work? So, or for how many minutes? <laughs> so that's like, I don't really know what TV work is doing, but... I'm I'm not sure. I'm like trying to come up with ideas about it. I'm like, are you watching like trainings or something? But then wouldn't you still use a computer, like a webinar? Like who watches like a training on TV? Like you don't have like a DVD that you're like putting in and being like, oh, right, work time. Yeah, it's very like, I strange. Just don't, or maybe you are. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That seems like more <laughs> antiquated than anything. Like I'm going to go watch my work video. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe people feel like they need to watch the news to keep up with current. I have some friends who have jobs that like feel like they need to watch the news to keep up with current events and things like that. So maybe people feel like they need to get something like into their brains about what happened the day before if they're in sales and clients are going to be talking to them or something to that effect. Hmm. I could see that, I guess. Yeah. But that's like a really fuzzy line. Like, are you watching the news for work or are you watching the news for yourself? Because you probably would be doing some of that too on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really quite sure why people would use that, but it does, it is, yeah. it is bad. So just know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone that is listening has used their TV for work at night, please write in and tell us how you used it because I am so curious. I just really, really yeah, want to know. That's, yeah, it would be good to know if people are using TV for work and what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so weird. Um, but for, from the article, like I think we've talked a lot about 
kind of the main findings and 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 generally what was found and how you can think about that. Like, do you have any specific um, recommendations for employees if they're um, kind of guilty of this, like you yeah, and I are? Yeah, so actually there's one more finding that I left in suspense. Ooh. Um, that is a Ooh, good tip. That danger yes. you're talking about, the yes, mystery. Yes, the mystery. <laughs> I told you about the danger. Now it is the mystery. Um, no, but they actually Ooh. found um, as part of the study that for people who really had a lot of control over their job. So I know we like always talk about job control, but um, like flexible work schedule or being able to decide how their work is done, um, being able to make decisions about the kind of work they do that day. Um, people who have more control over their job don't see the impact on engagement. So they do have mm. worse sleep. They do feel more depleted in the morning, but then when they get to work, they don't seem to suffer the same negative consequences as people who have less job control. So as we've talked about before, um, it's really important to think about, okay, if I have to work late at night because I have a lot of demands on me for my job, I may the next day try to make sure that I'm really taking time to make my work fit with the way that I want to do it, that I'm making conscious decisions about what I want to work on as opposed to just like being reactive if possible. So obviously in all jobs that might not be possible, but if possible to really make the work that you do that day consciously things that you're deciding to work on, maybe things that you like to work on a little bit better. Maybe if you stayed up late, you might decide to sleep a little bit later if you can and work a little bit later instead. So increasing your feelings of control about the job can actually help you to be more engaged when you do start working. I think that makes so much sense. Like, I'm just kind of thinking about this broadly from my perspective. You know, I am definitely guilty of checking my email, as I mentioned before, but I have a ton of flexibility. I have a lot of control over my job. I work from home, you know, sometimes I'm traveling to clients and all of that, but when I'm working from home, I can definitely sleep an extra 20 minutes if I need to, or um, take a break between client calls if I have the time. Like, you know, I have to meet those, do those meetings, but everything else, the way I do my job is completely in my control. So um, I think, I mean, from a personal perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think um, so you need to think about the kind of job that you have. If you don't have any flexibility to adjust your day based on the fact that you were working late, then you probably want to think about setting very strict boundaries. But if you're like me where, okay, well maybe today I had a client email me at 9:30, and I decided I want to answer that tomorrow. I could probably adjust my behavior and my tasks for the day to, to kind of compensate from the lack of sleep that maybe I got. Exactly. So it's about like, being able to catch yourself up kind of from what has depleted you. So looking at your phone, doing work stuff after a certain period of time is depleting. So it's about like, how can you give yourself back those resources? And if you know you're not going to be able to give yourself back those resources because of the type of job that you have, then you really have to be conscious about not depleting yourself. So you can't just keep depleting and depleting and depleting and never refilling the cup. You have to make sure that it's a give and take. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not letting yourself be too worn down and and um and basically you need to be able to get the rest you need to feel better um 
And whether it's, you know, rest or whatever kind of activity, maybe during the day you feel more energized if you take like a 15 minute walk and you have the opportunity to do that, you know, whatever it is that can help you feel better so that you can engage better, you should take advantage of that. Um, and if you can't, then you really need to, I, again, I think you really need to focus on those boundaries if you don't have the flexibility to adjust your day when you do um, work a little later. Yeah. And not even just a 15 minute walk, but like a quick nap, like a 20 minute nap. Actually, if you have time to do that or taking like a, um, making sure that you're taking like scheduled breaks to get yourself like cognitively reloaded, um, you know, trying to make sure that you're saving important tasks maybe for another day, um, so that you're working on things that you, you know, can feel more engaged with because you're making progress, but they might not be like the big hairy stuff that takes a lot of cognitive energy. So, um, to the extent that you can, yeah, try to use your schedule to replenish yourself from those resources. Yeah. And so when you're saying cognitive, um, resources and all that, you're really thinking about like the very challenging tasks, the things that you use a lot of brain power for, um, those are the things that should be put off to later, um, taking those breaks so that you have time to rest your brain. So you're not like over exerting your mind when you're thinking about something that's really complex. Um, so that's what you're talking about with the cognitive. Yeah. So you know how it feels when you're just feeling run down and tired, your brain like can't function properly. I mean, that's why people like drink coffee and stuff because it helps your brain to get a little bit out of that fog. But if you're in that fog all day, it's probably not a great time to be trying to, you know, make progress on these really, you know, taxing kind of heady work assignments. And you might want to, if you can, assign those to a different day. And again, like if you can't, Let's say you have a huge presentation or something that's going to take a lot of your brain power to do. You may want to be particularly conscious of, and it's not something you can postpone. Um, you may want to be particularly conscious of making sure that you're not looking at your smartphone late at night. Yeah, so if you have like a really big meeting with an important client the next day, you probably want to stop with the emails. And that's actually a really interesting thought as you were talking about that. I was thinking about my situation, like when I travel to visit clients, um, you know, travel in and of itself is exhausting. And then what ends up happening is I get there and the people I'm traveling with, like, you know, you want to prepare for that meeting. So the night before, I feel like there's a lot more work and emailing and whatever going back and forth. Um, in our hotel rooms. And I feel like that is actually detrimental to that meeting. Absolutely. Because we're working way too late and we should be fresher. We should have handled that before we, we need to focus on sleep and rest. Yeah, absolutely. I think that to the extent that you can get stuff done ahead of time and you're not waiting till the last minute to do things, especially when you have something big coming up, is good. Of course, there are are always going to be some things that are unavoidable, unexpected problems, etc. But everything that you can plan ahead before the night before, you should do um, so that you're not feeling that pressure to put that time in um, when it's going to have a you know a heavier toll on you. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of how to implement that. Like, what ends up happening is it's just the fact that you know we're me and my coworkers are like finally in a place together. Um, since I am remote, so everyone's really tempted to just kind of wait and talk through it in person, but probably based on this study, we should 
maybe we could talk about it earlier when we first get in. And if we're landing really late, we just have to make sure we're, we took care of it before we even get there. Yeah. Or if possible, if you're all remote anyway, and it wouldn't be extremely costly, like to get everybody out the day before and try to meet in the daytime the night, the day before and then go in if it's something you need to meet in person for. Um, and it wouldn't be like extremely costly to do that. That would be another option potentially. Yeah, that's a good point. So instead of getting in at five o'clock the night before the client meeting, we get in at like noon yeah. and we can work on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that also reminds yeah. me of another thing that I think is a good takeaway from the article is like, if you're on a team or if you're managing a team and you realize that there's a lot of this happening, like a lot of people staying up late, people answering emails at all hours of the night, etc. Think about from the organizational, like the broader, what are we doing as a company perspective? The gains that you get from expecting that people are going to be working at those hours versus the losses of productivity the next day. So I think a lot of times people just assume in the moment yeah, this is going to help us if we spend this time late at night doing this work. But there's this loss the next day that I don't think people take into account. So from the perspective of managers or people who are peers working on a team and you're able to coordinate how you do your own work, you know, really thinking through like we could make the decision to keep emailing each other late at night or to keep working on this, you know, at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. Um, or expecting individuals are going to keep doing that on their own individually. But is that really a good long-term strategy or does that just feel good in the moment because you're feeling productive right now? So I also think it's important for just companies to rethink the way that they think about time um, and productivity. And if you see this happening a lot to really say, you know what, it might feel like we're being more productive to stay up late, but the reality of the situation is we're going to pay for that tomorrow. So we might as well all just get on the same page, not be doing this and say tomorrow we'll all be better off if we did not engage in this behavior. I think that's a really important tip. Companies really need to think about that. I just had a friend visiting um, this past weekend who works up in Silicon Valley. And I think that Silicon Valley is particularly guilty of this. Yeah. Um, like he took the day off. And people were on Friday and people were constantly sending him messages like nonstop. And that happened all weekend, all weekend. He was getting Slack messages about, you know, some random work thing. And like most of them are just completely irrelevant and they don't need to be answered at that moment. Like it's not going to make or break the product to do it on Friday versus do it on Monday. Um, and I think that they, they just have this culture like to respond. I was like, why don't you just not respond? Like you're on vacation, you're away for the weekend. He's like, oh no, 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 I can't, I have to do it. But then he's also like really burnt out. Like he talks a lot about, you know, being exhausted, being over it. And just, you know, he is clearly not engaged with the work that he, like he used to be when he first started because I think he's just being at work too hard. He's not getting the rest he needs. And he's constantly on his phone answering emails and messages. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good example of, you know, never refilling that cup, really. It's like your time is always work time and smartphones are really bad for that, right? Like you're constantly on and you're constantly expected to be on call and available. And so while it's a really good tool for being able to access information from anywhere and quickly and it makes work easier in some ways, it also has created some problems that people didn't have before, like you're expected to always be on. And 
this article is basically suggesting that that expectation is doing the opposite of what people think it should be doing. That while people might feel like it's making their workers more productive in the long term, it's not going to have those effects. So, um, and you are going to see that burnout. So I think that's a really good example. Yeah, I think I think your tip was spot on. Companies really need to be thinking about the way their employees are using their time and making sure that they have the time to recover at night, to rest, to disconnect a little bit so that they're replenished. That cup is full when they start the day um, the next day. And I think managers need to think about that with their teams. You know, if they're I mean, managers are often guilty of this. You know, they're working really hard. They're sending emails late at night. Like you need to think about as a manager how to curb that, you know, make your team set boundaries and get some rest and so that they can come to work and really engage in the work the next day. And as an employee, um, kind of the same thing. Like think about your own boundaries. When do you go to bed and when should you really stop and disconnect? And um, if you have the ability to to work late and then compensate for that in the morning, great. But if you don't, then set those strict boundaries and really stick to Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting. A colleague of mine was just talking to me about some data I'll have to link to uh, ask him where it came from, but he was talking about a study that was just conducted about CEOs and asked them, uh, the the survey asked them whether or not they would take a short-term loss if they knew that it would bring 10 years of slow, steady growth to the company. And 80% of CEOs said that they would not. They would not take the short-term loss, even if they knew it meant 10 years of continuous what? growth. Um, which is crazy, but it shows the, um, state that people are in, in terms of this, like immediate gratification mentality. And I think that's some of what we're talking Mm -hmm. about here is like, it feels like I'm being productive in the moment, but I'm not having the foresight to think about what this is going to mean for me tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And companies that are able to think that way are going to reap those benefits down the line and will end up having more longevity, Um, as opposed to companies that are really thinking in the short term. Oh my gosh, that is such a crazy statistic to me. Like you should want continuous growth. Like, yeah, maybe that loss is going to hurt for a little bit, but then if you can have growth for 10 years, like everyone wants that. If you're a publicly traded company, you should want that because yeah, your stakeholders will lose some money initially, but then if they grow for that long, like that's going to, they're going to make up everything they lost. That's so weird. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's that same mentality. It's like, well, okay, you know, I know you're gone for the weekend, but we want to get this product launch launched at this X date. And so we need all these things decided right now at this moment. And if we wait, I don't know, we might lose some shareholder confidence because we were a day late on something. I don't know. I, I think that there is a lot of, um, short vision yeah. in in the way these companies are being run. I agree. Yeah. So so in any event, uh, I thought that was super interesting. And I think it's similar here that um, when it comes to answering emails at night, looking at work stuff, whether it's on computer, smartphone, etc., um, you have to stop that impulse in its tracks and know that it's not going to help you in the long run. And also for companies, if you're noticing this pattern, which I'm sure a lot of companies out there, managers, people who are in charge of setting the ground rules or setting norms for teams, like if you're seeing this happen a lot, you have to know that this isn't going to be good for you in the long term and try to set a better example or just be explicit about the fact that this is not something that you encourage. Yeah, I completely agree. 
Well, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that you think we should take away from this article? No, I think, uh, you know, unless it's something that um, you really enjoy and don't count as work, or you're going to have a lot of control over your schedule the next day, tonight, try to keep your smartphone away. We'd love to hear how things are going for you, and maybe we'll try it too and let you know how it goes. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We need to we need to work on that ourselves. So that will be my goal for tonight. I'm gonna not look at my work email after nine o'clock today, um, and see how I feel. Maybe I won't wake up at two in the morning or three in the morning. Yeah, tonight. that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It'd be great. <laughs> well, thanks again for sharing that article. <laughs> um, we would love to hear from you now, our fabulous listeners. Um, If you have any feedback, comments, um, watch TV for work after 9 p.m., (laughs) um, please send us a note, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. Workerbeing is spelled W-O-R-K-R-B-E-E-I-N-G. You can find us on our website at workerbeing.com, and you can find us on social media. Workerbeing is our handle on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson.